to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here inside the Indiana Convention Center at the NFL Combine, along with former Vikings quarterback Sage Rosenfels again. Uh, appreciate all of you who have tweeted us about uh, our shows together here at the Combine. I'm very glad that Sage could come around and even give advice to Quasi Adolfo Mensa last night about where he should live in Minneapolis. Uh, I think you gave him very good advice that... The Quasi Adolfo Mensa, he's a young guy. He's not an old GM. He doesn't want to be out in Eden Prairie. He, does, he doesn't want to be in the in the Invergrove Heights woods. No offense to anybody who lives out there. Uh, but uh, he wants to be a Minneapolis man. He wants to be, yeah. He, I was asking him, you know, and I also saw uh, offensive line coach, uh, is it Chris Cooper? Yeah. Uh, yep. Last night sort of talked about the same thing. They're dealing with different situations, though. You know, one has kids, one, one does not. Uh, but both, I think, prefer to be a little more in the city, but not like downtown in the city, but closer to to the city. So I, you know, of course, sent them to the area around the lakes, uh, Badad Mesca, and uh, just sort of over there in, that, in I guess, southwest uh, Minneapolis. Um, so, you know, we'll see where they end up. But that, that was it's always interesting to learn different things about people. And for me, talking to, to Kwesi is I really can't believe how and I know I'm not like an official member of the uh, the much hated Minneapolis sports media that he has to be extra reserved uh, around, but he's very open with me, um, you know, about what what he was looking for and and what he was all about, and very very easy guy to talk to, uh, of course, uh, and he looks like he could have played um receiver or, or or whatever. I mean, the guy is uh, he's tall and and uh, he's an athletic. Uh, Bill, but yeah, really, really easy guy to talk to, and I think he's really en- going to enjoy getting to Minneapolis. It feels like to me just getting to know him. It's it's his type of city. It's so funny how you assess people's like physical traits. It's <laughs> like we're at the combine. You're like, oh, he's lanky, big hands. <laughs> when, when, when you when you talk to other uh, when I've talked to other quarterbacks, sometimes we will forget players' names, but we will know if they were good at running slants. Or corner <laughs> routes, or like a 50-50 ball fade type. Yeah, he's only five eleven, but man, he was actually pretty good on those 50-50 balls if you just gave him a shot. But I have no idea what his name was. Like there's there's a weird thing when you're a quarterback and when you play with so many players, you start looking at guys as their actual their physical traits and physical capabilities, and less of actually like what their name is sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you also get a lot of respect around here because. Every every prospect that's running around in shorts and just behind us, there's some guys stretching out and they're running in the hallway and stuff. Every one of them hopes to have an NFL career as long as you did, you know. And so when Kevin O'Connell sees you or Kevin Stefanski or whatever, it's like there's a there's a guy who all these guys hope to be for most of them. I mean, there's top five picks who think, well, I'm going to be the hundred million dollar player and everything else. But to have the career that you had, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of respect for that. So when Quasi or Kevin O'Connell is talking with you, it's like this is another guy who is the one percent of the one percent, and and that's what I think always makes your perspective so unique for our show, is just that there's so few people that were able to do this, and this is why we're going to talk more about quarterbacks, yeah. of course. Well, I was doing a podcast earlier today, and we sort of went through what my, what my career was, and I said at the end, you know, if you uh, when I describe myself to people, sometimes the easiest thing to say is I was a journeyman backup quarterback. Uh, we got into the aspect that I am the goat of the preseason. I statistically have the greatest preseason stats in the history of any NFL quarterback. So I thought, you know, Tom Brady's the goat of probably the regular season and postseason. Mm-hmm. So basically, Tom Brady and I are the goats of all the seasons 
of in the in, in the NFL. It's probably. I mean, Peyton Manning might be the regular season because he only has only has the two Super Bowls. That's true, and the right. five MVP MVPs, and, right. which is and more his, than Rodgers. His statistics were better than Brady. That used to be a debate. Like, well, do you want Manning or Brady's better in the clutch? So it's so it's so Brady it's, postseason, Manning regular season, and myself Rosen, preseason. Uh, yeah, yeah. But then you got off season uh, a goat, <laughs> which well, no off season goats, which is what's going on right now. This uh, is the yeah. off season goats, right? The oh, guys okay. who. A test extremely well. The greatest tested quarterback of all time at the combine probably didn't have a great career. Okay, right? that's so, yeah. That's probably the least of the of the four seasons. That's the least important is the the uh, goat of the off season. I thought you meant as in business wise that you know he gets to the off season and then he gets a huge contract. That's but the, also the, the Andrew Brandt uh, Hall of Fame of sports uh, income or whatever he, he calls that thing. Yeah. Well, the other thing is too that a lot of people. They spend their off seasons defending him too, and so it's like Kirk somehow becomes better when the season is over, where the like people sort of have amnesia about what just happened in December, and then like, well, you know, they start looking at his stats and start forgetting. So I that's that was all I meant. I, I think it is interesting in, in football and in sports in general. People love talking about stats, mm-hmm. and. I think that's fine. Um, I, th- I think stats are important. It's it's your best way to try to describe how good a player or coach is. All right? And some of those stats are passing yards or quarterback rating or wins and losses, but they're all in one way or another various amounts of stats. But at the end of the day, uh, I think I feel like I've been just around long enough that an example, Carmelo Anthony, great NBA stats. If you just looked at his stats when he was really in his prime in particular, you would think that is one of the best players, like an all-decade NBA guy. Mm-hmm. Always on losing teams, though. And so as a guy who was in a lot of sports in high school and, of course, around this, this, this great sport, football, for a long time, to me, I, I try to, to trust my eyes uh, and my brain more than just what the stats try to tell me. Because I, I think somebody once said, uh, stats lie, which is why liars use stats, <laughs> right? Because you can, you know, uh, politicians use stats all the time uh, and, and to try to try to uh, change the, the narrative of something in their favor and they just forget about the stats that aren't in their favor, right? right. So, yeah. um, and... Uh, you know, like a huge stat in, in, in for, for quarterbacks is, is third downs. Gary Kubiak one time said to me, you know, I can get any quarterback pretty much to be pretty good on first and second down. I need guys who are really good on third down and great in the red zone. Right. All right the guys that are throwing touchdown passes in the red zone, the guys that are finding a way, whether it's throwing the ball or buying time to run the ball or whatever it might be, to be great on third down. And that's a huge stat. Vikings not great on third down throwing the football. Uh, and then that matters, even though the other stats would say the quarterback's a great quarterback, right? So it's, it's the, it's the certain, there's certain stats that I think they're much more valuable than others. Well, no, I think that's a great point, is everything, and this is where I agree with Kwesi Adafo Mensa, and what's actually getting hard already with him and Kevin O'Connell is what is sort of like coach speak, GM speak, and what is he really telling us? And when he says that everything is a data point, so what your eyes tell you is a data point and what your scouts tell you and what you're feeling on someone is a data point because you use all of these things to evaluate. 
your culture, your leadership, your connection with other people, data points that all get factored in. Now, you can't put a number, a three on someone's leadership or something, but it's all things that have to be factored. And, you know, as we look at these quarterbacks, I wanted to ask you this about like the makeup of a great quarterback, because, I mean, you got to be in the same quarterback room with Brett Favre and Eli Manning. And you could talk, you know, you could talk about Eli and whether he's a Hall of Fame or not, but a great franchise quarterback. And Jeff George. <laughs> no, really? Yeah, Jeff no, George, my when? rookie year for 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 two games. When was that? Washington. Washington. Oh my gosh, uh, course, I forgot that. In the off season, have we never talked about this over all these years? No. Yeah, so into the off season, of course, and it's in my rookie year. We start the first game of the year. We go, we fly all the way from D.C. all the way out to San Diego. And take on Norv Turner, who had just been fired the year before. So, and Norv's the the offensive coordinator. So you got Doug Flutie out there, and they and Ladanian Tomlinson's a uh, a rookie. Drew Brees is the backup. We're, we're rookies together, and they just destroy us. Our offense is bad as I thought it would be because it was pretty bad in the preseason. Um, and then week two. Um, we didn't have a week two. Week two is September 11th. Happened oh, on, sure, yeah, on right. that Tuesday. So we get back from that long ass uh, uh, flight to to San Diego. And, you know, probably came in on Monday. Tuesday, 9/11 uh, occurs. They cancel that game. The following game, so the really the second game of the season, we go to Green Bay Monday Night Football, and we get destroyed in that game too. And that was the great sheriff, the great Jeff George's last. Uh, last football game and uh, so yeah so I started my career seeing that all the talent right I saw so much talent but I saw a lack of all what you called leadership but leadership is a lot of things it's likability it's uh, getting people uh, connecting to the players that they will follow you anywhere because they know uh, wherever you're going is is a good place, you're right. And so I saw maybe a lack of that with with the sheriff. Um, and and I you know as you move around your career, then I went to Miami and Jay Fiedler's the the starting quarterback, and great leadership, not a lot of talent. Uh, he was a good athlete, but he didn't have a, a very good arm. Um, he was okay accuracy-wise, didn't throw a great ball. But that team really would – they would do anything for Jay. He had an ability uh, to – he was a very likable guy. But start off was like was his work ethic uh, and the way he worked. and also But the way he talked to every guy on the team. He grew up in New York. His dad was a high school basketball coach, a well-known high school basketball coach in New York City. Uh, he was a basketball player growing up. Anthony Mason was one of his dad's players. Oh, wow. Right, so yeah, I think he sort of grew up with this, this ability, despite being like Jewish from New York, to connect to all the guys on the team. Right. Okay, so I so, you, know, you see things like that. Um, and then, yeah, as I go through my career and uh, end up uh, obviously playing with Brett and end up playing with Eli, um, very different types of leaders, very different types of quarterbacks, types of throwers, all those things. But I, I will say sort of like that likability uh, or the ability to connect emotionally, like connect with your teammates. Uh, you know, people always ask me, what are the best, you know, what are the most important traits? And I, over the years, I'm like, you know, accuracy is really important. That's a really, it is important, mm -hmm. right? Arm strength, yeah, it's important, but it's not everything. Drew Brees didn't have a great arm, Hall of Fame quarterback, right? Mac Jones doesn't have a great arm, great rookie quarterback. Shoot, even Joe Burrow doesn't have some huge arm, mm -hmm. but really, really good, you know, young quarterback. Um, but likability is huge. If you're not likable, 
I, I feel like there hasn't been very many quarterbacks in history that have been like an unlikable guy and been super successful because it does matter. It sure bleeds into the rest of the football team. Well, can we talk about just with Eli Manning and Brett Favre? I feel like Brett Favre's personality and a lot of things about him would be very hard to repeat. And if you tried to be like Brett Favre, <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like you try to play an instrument like a very famous person who's very unique or sing like someone who is very unique in the way they sing. Um, okay, so my wife likes pop music. If you try to sing like Billie Eilish, it just won't go well. Like, she's very specific in how she does it, right? And everyone will know, and it will just be a cover band and not good. Um, but I feel like Eli Manning's form of leadership is much more repeatable for people. Uh, one thing that he was great at is he just didn't ruffle feathers publicly. He carried himself in a, in a really good way. But you've mentioned to me before that behind the scenes... He's different than his public persona. And I think that there's a lot of value in that. In like, in, and also that he's very funny. And people have started to realize this with the Manning cast, yeah. that Eli is extremely funny. I, I feel like that's a way to universally connect with people in general. And then also being gutsy. Like I think that gutsy matters to people. And I don't mean everything to sound like a shot at Kirk Cousins. If you take it that way, well, that tells you something about Kirk Cousins. But like being, being gutsy helped Case Keenum. That, you know, not a talented guy, but Manning was a very talented guy who was gutsy and also could relate to people on, on a sort of funny kind of way. But but you had a chance to be around him. And I guess I, I think that if you're like modeling your leadership after somebody, that's not a bad guy to pick. Eli, it'd be great to pick, you know, one playing in New York City and having almost no sound bites in 16 years or something like that uh, to like sort of be used against you uh, as evidence that you're a jerk or something. And he has like almost none of those. Uh, he was very good at being politically correct uh, in those locker room press conferences or at the podium press conferences. But when he needed to, he would and find a way to, without me always saying the player's name, call somebody out. He did that on occasion, but he did that knowing 99% of the team agreed with him. So he sort of really picked his, you know, picked his moments there. You don't want to like talk about some other guy's contract when half the team's like, you know what, you shouldn't deal with another man's money. That's that's his business, and we're all just, you know, we're all businessmen trying to make as much money as we can here. So he would sort of pick and choose his spots. He was funny, and he is funny. Uh, his funny is not like he tells funny jokes. His funny is his wit. Mm -hmm. He's quick. Um, he's also, he is very smart. You know, the, what I always appreciated about Eli was he grew up going to a super, like the most wealthy high school in New Orleans, all right? Dad was famous. He had every reason to be one of these, like, sort of spoiled, rich, entitled uh, kids that sort of felt like he was better than everybody else because you see it all the time. It's mm -hmm. like a, it's like an epidemic in this country. I, I, I feel like sometimes. And so, um, Eli, it, we, he he didn't have that uh, aura around him when he was in that locker room. He was like one of the guys. You would you really wouldn't have known that he grew up, uh, you know, with a housekeeper, uh, you know, probably 24 hours a day or whatever, you know, however, however that, that his childhood was, um, you wouldn't think that if you were around him. So when you're funny or you're witty, you can sort of get along with everybody, um, you, you tell good stories, but you're you know, politically correct. You don't call guys out in the press conferences. You take the heat a lot. Um, it, it, it does tend to be likable. Another thing I was uh, thinking about this the other day, when Eli had bad games, 
he had terrible games. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that this sounds weird, but... For like four picks. Yeah, yeah. so when you're down, when you're down uh, uh, 10 points in the fourth quarter, and you've already thrown two interceptions, okay, Eli wasn't scared to throw two more before the game was out. Because all he really cared about was trying to get back in the game. And even if you were down 21 points and you showed two interceptions, he's not scared to throw an interception. He's not just trying to, like, ah, I want to have good stats and try to, like, make it look respectable. He was just trying to be aggressive all the time. And I think guys appreciated that. It sounds stupid to, like, yeah, we really liked him because he threw four interceptions last game. But they like a guy who doesn't really care about his personal stats and is really just trying to do, uh, to, to a fault sometimes, what is best for the football team, and that is to continue to be aggressive and push the ball down the field and not just take check down Charlie's uh, and run out the clock. Right. Let's take some of these skills and apply them beyond the leadership and everything else, but apply them to uh, the, the quarterbacks in this draft. Now, I'm not asking you to have grinded all of the tape on these guys. Because I've grinded none of the tape. Because you've grinded basically. none of the tape on these guys. I did just see uh, uh, Pickett's uh, throwing motion in a hallway here, uh, throwing ball with his gloves. Isn't that funny? We could get, we can get into a glove conversation and how that concerns me already about the kid. Well, Kenny does not have your hand size, so he has my hand size. And I, I don't know if that's a legitimate concern. Like, hand size doesn't necessarily correlate to success, but there's also a baseline of that where it actually could impact you. Well, like what if it does you have is smaller it, it, hands than anyone who's ever played. You would be going like, okay, is that going to be a problem for him? It, I mean, it, it can be. It, it's, it, there's a mixture of like hand size and throwing motion style. Yeah, you know, hand size really does. It's not like gripping the football, but guys who have bigger hands, the way the ball comes off, sort of like a in like a whip in a way, and your fingers are like the end of the whip you get just more spin and rotation uh, on the ball. In college football, you know, these guys go out there and they use these balls and they can wear them in as much as they can. NFL footballs are fairly worn in too, but you're also playing in more bad condition games in pro football, a lot more uh, November, December, even January playoff games than college football. So you have to be able to, you have to, be able to spin it really well. Mm-hmm. Drew Brees did not spin the ball really well, but – he played in New Orleans for most of his career, San Diego for most of his career. New Orleans is also playing against Atlanta, playing against Tampa, right? So he's not – Drew would not have had his career, I don't think, playing in Buffalo mm-hmm. and having to play New England, having to play at the Jets, and then getting that one game with the Dolphins. You need to have a guy who can spin it. Like that's my concern, like Jimmy Garoppolo. He doesn't spin the ball very well either. So people talk about him going to like the Steelers as a destination. I don't know how well he'll do – in a place like that, I think he he would be better off uh, in a, on a team that has better throwing conditions, and, and hand size does matter with that. Folks, we've got an even better offer to tell you about from Soda Stick. If you use the promo code Purple Insider, one word, you can get fifteen percent off your purchase. That's right, at SodaStick.com, your place for Minnesota sports-inspired apparel. You can get. 15% off just by using the code Purple Insider. I've told you about all the great football designs, but they've added a few more, including the Axe is Back for Minnesota football fans. You can get that on a shirt, on a hat, and also Randy Moss is the GOAT, the Purple People Eaters, Bud Grant designs for the old school fan, plus the hockey and basketball teams are both actually exciting this year, and Soda Stick has you covered there as well. Go to sodastick.com, that is S-O-T-A, S-T-I-C-K 
purpleinsider.com and use the code purpleinsider for 15% off. Well, the other thing about Kenny Pickett is it just seems like when we talk about the ceiling for a player, maybe we can discuss that a little bit, like some of the, the language that gets used that we just sort of say and like what does that even mean? But Pickett has been sort of dubbed Mac Jonesy a little bit, like not a unbelievable athlete as we're talking they haven't tested yet i don't suspect he's going to run a 4-3 you know and also kind of a one-year guy where this year he really emerged and had this great season with good wide receivers and a lot around him and you you know i'll always stick with i don't know which guys are going to succeed or not Pickett to me does have some things where you wonder what some some red flags yeah some red flags like what what is the ceiling for the guy what can he really be can he really throw the ball? And this was a senior bowl thing. Can he really throw the ball like the other guys? And that means accurate enough. And that means with velocity, because I know you said that, you know, accuracy is number one, but it's got to have a baseline of velo or you're talking about like, you could be a major league pitcher at 92. You can't be one at 87 and Pickett, I wonder if he sort of rests on that spectrum. And if he struggles like this week to, to throw the ball hard and accurate, I think any one of these prospect quarterbacks has the chance to be a second-round pick if they don't play really well here. Yeah, and you know Kevin Stefanski uh, at his press conference earlier today, he talked about the importance of coming to the combine because he really does like to see the quarterbacks throw at the same time. He likes, you know, you, you go to a private workout, you just see one quarterback throw. So you don't have that next guy who walks up and the ball just zooms out of his hand faster and you start going, okay, you start comparing them. When you have all these guys thrown at the same time, you can actually compare how you see that ball come out of their hands and the velocity. So, yeah, he definitely has his red flags. I haven't done much research uh, on these college guys, nor do I even watch that much college football anymore other, other than my beloved Cyclones. We do a Brock Purdy here. Got to throw his name. Uh, you know, three-and-a-half-year starter at Iowa State. Um, shorter guy, squattier sort of body. Threw for a ton of yards there. Uh, broke all my records probably like in this, you know, middle of his second season as a starter say, or something. I didn't have very many, uh, very many, but, um, well, if he got uh, to double digit touchdowns, I think he'll be, I think he'll be a, I'm hoping he's like sort of a late draft pick, you know, sixth rounder, seventh rounder, fifth rounder or something. He is very accurate. He doesn't miss very many throws and he's those offense where, where sort of like a, the one of those air raid offenses where you have to, they're not super detailed in their protections and their their pass patterns. It's a lot of like deeper stuff where guys are running around all over. Um, and, and so he has a lot of reps at it. I actually have a, a belief that the, the college guys that play uh, in, in these systems that are like super like air raid style offenses, though that those offenses aren't conducive to winning the NFL. I, a lot of times, would rather draft one of those guys. They may know very little about like normal football, normal passing game football, because they don't talk coverages and all these things all that much. And those Mike Leach style offenses, but you know the guy that comes in has like three million reps of throwing the ball in <laughs> yeah. college. You go draft the Iowa quarterback; he's throwing the ball eighteen times a game. Their their meetings are are based off of like what's the best way to run our our uh, outside zone play do we run it to the right or we run it to the left and you know so even though even though it's more pro style system mm-hmm. that makes sense so uh there's an aspect of taking these very unpolished guys patrick mahomes of course being the the main one of, the, of these types of players because he had so many crazy reps in college and made so many throws then you just sort of have to like 
harness it and bring it in a little bit and sort of put parameters around what you're doing, but at least the kid had a million throws at the college level. Yeah, that's interesting is that it seems like, and this was a major compliment for Kellen Mond, was, well, he played in this NFL-style offense. Like, yeah, and wasn't all that good. I mean, right, like, you sort of have a, a more, more of an idea of what the guy is. It's used as a compliment, but I think you could see the limitations and, and the strengths and weaknesses of someone like Kellen Mond when he's playing in an offense that is more NFL-ish as opposed to it's wide open, it's seven on seven, and now you have to try to harness it, which I wanted to ask you in this way about Malik Willis because Malik Willis has some very weird things about him, like statistically he got sacked a ridiculous amount. But then when you watch it, you're like, well, they didn't really have offensive linemen, but it's also a QB stat, which we have talked about and established, and he's stats, a play- are, stats are definitely a QB stat, yeah, right? Sacks, does, yeah. does PFF uh, consider that as part of their evaluation of like, yes. quarterback quarterback sacks? Which which is odd because uh, Burrow got sacked, led the NFL in sacks this year, and they still somehow made it the Super Bowl, well, which is pretty surprising. There are certain quarterbacks who do and overcome it. I mean, Burrow is still young; he can improve it. Uh, Russell Wilson always got sacked a lot, and this is the Malik Willis question that I was going to ask: is just these playmaking quarterbacks will get sacked because they're trying to extend plays and things like that. I don't know how much of that is Malik Willis. I'd have to watch every sack to try and figure out how much was a lineman getting beat, how much was a pass protection breakdown, how much was him trying to extend a play. But when you you think about the traits that Malik Willis has, a rocket arm, probably going to run a 4-4 here if he runs. To, to me, that's very hard to ignore and say, oh, okay, Kenny, give me Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett might turn out to be the better quarterback, but the ceiling, as we talk about it, usually is based on what physical traits that you have, and if everything aligns properly, what could you become? So you might become Jordan Love, who I get the sense isn't any good. Uh, (laughs) Otherwise, they might be handling this different. And he was the traits guy, but you also could be the Josh Allen, where you become a force it's hard for Mac Jones to become a force because there's limitations there. It's possible for someone like Malik Willis. That's why of all the quarterbacks, if you said take one, I probably would end up taking him. Well, a lot of times people talk about the draft as a it's it's like a you know, get rid all these the GMs, the scouts, even you know, the head coaches, quarterbacks coaches. It's CYA all the time. It's cover your ass all the time. <laughs> so when you have a player and say, I'm going to let's draft this guy. All right. The, the GM has to tell the owner as to why we're drafting this guy. So if you've got 10 positives, rocket arm, you ran a 4440, he did really well in all the mental tests, had a ton of stats in college, those all point, point to he should be successful. But if he's not successful, you can still point to those and say, well, all the all the meters said, yeah, he should be successful, and sometimes you're just wrong, right? But very rarely do all the things point to, well, he's not going to be successful, then all of a sudden he ends up being successful. It does happen, but not, not often. By the way, I want to finish up the, the sack question. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, one thing I used to think of was, you know, as a, a Burrow got sacked 51 times or whatever it was this year. 
sacks on first and second down are way different than sacks on third down. Yeah. Sacks on third down don't matter all that much, right? It's third and eight. I get a sack. It's fourth and, 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 and 12. We're punting either way. Who cares, right? But a sack on first down creates a third and 15. Third and 15s mm-hmm. create fumbles, create, you know, uh, you know there's, there's no, good, no, no good plays there. So to me, it's not just the number of, of sacks, but like actually when you get sacked, again, like one of those sats that can lie. Uh, I see Tom Brady all the time on the 10-yard line going in to score, third down. But he's going to hold on to the football until he's got something because he knows if he gets sacked, it just turns in from a 32-yard field goal to a 40-yard field goal. His guy should make it. 90% of the time either way. So it's it's like not a bad sack to take. And the numbers have bared this out that by expected points added, a sack is many times even worse than throwing an interception because at least with throwing a pick, you're throwing it 20 or 30 yards down the field. I mean, if you throw a pick to somebody who runs it for a touchdown, of course that's not good. But when Matt Stafford threw that pick in the Super Bowl on a bomb, like, well, does that really hurt you? Yeah. Not really. Not the same. But if you get if you get at the 25, your own 25, and you take a sack on first down, I mean, you are now talking about being at the 14-yard line with second and long. Now you are losing that battle right there and talking about giving the ball to the other team at potentially the 50-yard line if you can't convert a second and 20-something or, or second and 17 into a first down. And that's where you worry about someone like Malik Willis taking so many sacks Yeah, because it becomes I'm sure an they aware, went on third down. It becomes an awareness game. Yeah. Yeah. Because right? really sacks in some ways are about awareness, awareness yeah. of what down it is, awareness of the guys around you, uh, the um, whether you should take a sack or whether you should try to throw the ball away. You'll see quarterbacks run a bootleg and take a sack, which is like the no brainer. You should never run a bootleg and take a sack because you always have the ability to throw the ball in the dirt at someone's feet. But then you'll see good quarterbacks occasionally like take a 10 yard sack on a bootleg. And now you're again, now you're in second and 20 rather than being on second and 10. You just throw the ball away. So that's like an awareness, uh, 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 which isn't really a stat either. Right. There's not a, a PFF or there's not some breakdown of like, oh, this quarterback is just there's a number here. He's a 32.8 awareness meter. You know, it's like Madden might have that, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, football yeah. doesn't currently have that. I mean, that to me is one of the um, sort of like likability for a quarterback. It's one of the uh, uh, attributes of the great ones is great awareness. And awareness, there's a, there's a physical awareness, like in the pocket and how you move a little bit, but stay on rhythm with your hitches and your reads. But there's also like an awareness – at a press conference, awareness in the locker room, awareness in your community of what, you know, if you're a quarterback of the Green Bay Packers versus a quarterback of the Los Angeles Chargers or the LA Rams or the New York Giants, you're dealing with a different fan base. So having like the awareness of who you're talking to every single day and uh, that overall awareness thing uh, also a big attribute of course you know you don't know about any of those things with uh, with these young quarterbacks that are coming out yeah right and that's the hardest thing to figure out is how will you handle yourself in an NFL situation I think that someone like Dwayne Haskins had the ability to be a very good NFL quarterback but no awareness yeah (laughs) no awareness and instantly went out and hurt his team and they decided to cut him because he just he just didn't seem to understand the magnitude of being an NFL quarterback and what that means. Uh, on Malik Willis, where does the run game fit in with a quarterback right now? 
because it always seems to fluctuate based on who was just winning. You know, when when the mobile quarterback is is winning, then it's so oh, you got to have that. But this year, Stafford and Burrow get to the Super Bowl with a combined what less than 200 yards rushing yeah. between them. Yet at the same time, you would not say that rushing is bad or that is something you don't want. Willis, it's a huge part of it. And here's a here's a reference you'll love that PFF. Their comparison for uh, Malik Willis was Cordell Stewart because he's just a marvelous runner and he'll be an elite runner in the league, but he might not be an elite passer in the league, even though he has uh, this this arm strength. And I guess I wonder how valuable you think it is uh, or if that's going to change or if that's something like as you compare, okay, it's Willis and Matt Corral. One of them could run for 500 or 600 yards a year, but one's a little bit better of a passer. One has a stronger arm. One's a little more precise. Like, how do you weigh all those things? I think you weigh it's, it's throwing the football first. Uh, that I think that the sport is and forever for forever will be a throwing the ball with the quarterback sport. In particular, long term. If you're talking about one year and we got a quarterback that can run around a lot and make plays, or for a couple years, um, but I just believe over time those guys will get hurt as well as that the NFL defenses are simply too fast and too physical. And, and the, the, in, the, in a sense, the, the football field in NFL games, I always say, is like a little bit smaller than the college field, even though it's obviously the same size. But with the hashes being so wide in college, you go to like the, the wide side, like the, what I call like the trip side, there is like 10 more yards of, of grass over there. There's more space. And so there's just more sort of space in – in the college game for for guys that can run and uh, and again and the defenders aren't quite as fast defenders don't react quite as well and in the, in the pro game you've got like grown men out there who were 28 years old in the greatest physical condition of their lives who no longer have to go to class uh they've been like they just lift, lift weights for you know the entire off season and run and they're in peak peak condition at all the times they have all the trainers and all the access to all the tools to make them the basically the, the the strongest weapon possible, those guys are coming after you, and um, and they know that if they hurt you, their chances of winning the game go way up. <laughs> right, that's right. like a that's like a real thing. Yes, much much more that in the pros than than in college. And so I you know Lamar Jackson's an unbelievable runner, right? But he has a ways to go in the passing game. Have they gotten to a championship game yet? They, I don't believe they have. They haven't gotten no. the Super Bowl either. Yeah. But you look at the last couple of years, Tom Brady, even at his age, is still right there at the end. And just a couple of years ago, of course, winning it. Pat Mahomes, he's an, he's an okay runner, but really he's a scrambler. Uh, and uh, they don't really design very many runs for them. I do think to have a guy who's mobile enough that on third down when someone plays man-to-man, they can scramble for, for 12 yards on a third and eight. Uh, that's really valuable. Uh, I think on third and twos and threes or a fourth and one, you call a zone read. Uh, the quarterback can get out there and protect themselves uh, in the red zone on the five-yard line, the 10-yard line. Uh, when you're willing to risk the injury of the quarterback so many times a year, that's when it's worth it, and that's when you want a guy that can can do that. And even, you know, we talked about, like, Stafford and Burrow not being great runners, but they do that just enough. Uh, yeah, I, I know for, for a fact both those teams are running occasional zone read or something when it matters the most, and they are good enough athletes to uh, to, to, to run, but you got to be a great thrower first. 
And, and really, I mean, even with Josh Allen, where he takes the next step is when he improves as a passer. And this is something with quarterbacks that's so hard to project is Malik Willis's throwing motion. Now, I'm not the expert on that. You would be. But, uh, you know, it's sort of said to need some work and his footwork and all those things. But what you don't know is how hard he's going to work on that when he gets to the league where Patrick Mahomes, the footwork was a big problem. But then all of a sudden it wasn't. And the same thing with Josh Allen, where always oh, throwing motion is a problem. And then all of a sudden it wasn't because they worked on it and they mastered it. And that's when you take Willis and you think if he masters it and then you add the running and then he can make special plays with his legs, then you really have something. And so trying to project how far away he is from that of being a precise passer is a really difficult thing and one of the major challenges here. I would be willing to take that risk of, well, you know, maybe the guy just ends up being a carnival axe with his, you know, legs and, and his arm strength. But if he's more than that, if he's more than just an NFL combine hero, he can be a great quarterback. I'm not sure that there's anybody else in the draft who can be a great quarterback, good enough to build around and potentially win with. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know about I don't know about truly great. Well, by the way, you know, I, and I came out with Michael Vick, and of course, he's one of the great runners of all time as a quarterback. If you just watched him throw the football, he really was one of the best throwers I've ever seen. Strong arm, ball came out beautiful, never threw a wobbler, just like a natural thrower. But where he struggled was uh, the inability to have a really complex offense. Uh, There just just wasn't their offense in Atlanta in those days, and and uh, Mora was the coach. They were simple. They were like two high defenses. We're going to either run the ball or work the tight end algae crumpler down the middle to the running backs. Single high safety, we're going to throw go routes and comebacks. They kept it. Very simple from, I don't know if, uh, the, all the reasons behind that, but that when you have to run a really simple offense, it does limit sort of your, your, your ceiling there. And then, of course, as I said, that, that processing of information uh, to be able to go from, uh, you know, receiver one to two to three to four, uh, to be able to do all the audibling stuff, to see all the coverages and see what they all might mean. Um, he struggled in some of those aspects, but the physical things were off the charts. And he ended up being a re- he was a really good NFL quarterback oh, yeah. and one of the best in the oh, league yeah. for a number of years and had to end up having a long career even after, uh, you know, obviously going to jail, but but didn't have all the things uh, necessary to be, uh, you know, one of the greatest of all time. Well, and Vic admitted later that he didn't watch enough film and he didn't study enough with the offense. And then when he got to Philadelphia and had to take a more mature approach that he was nearly the MVP of the league the one year when he actually did study that stuff. I think he's the most talented quarterback, raw talent of all time, uh, in terms of his arm strength, his throwing ability, his running ability. He's Barry Sanders except for throwing the ball and can throw at 70 yards. Like I mean, there was, there was a throw. I was at, I think it was like Washington first, maybe it was the first game of the year, kickoff game or something, and they ran like a, a deep zone, outside zone play action. He comes around and looks up and hits uh, – Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson. I know this throw. That ball's like 75 yards in the air. Just in a game. Just incredible in a game. Which you never see unless it's a Hail Mary. You don't, you, yeah, you, you never see unless it's a Hail Mary or some player runs around for and to buy all this time for some reason to randomly throw. You just don't see it very often. Uh, I saw him do it. I saw Justin Herbert throw a ball similar. I don't know if it was last year or yeah, his last rookie year. year. Um, by the way, Justin Herbert, I wasn't high on when he came out just because I watched two games. And all they ran was bubble screens and go routes. 
and he wasn't really good at either one of them. He like he'd throw inaccurate. I was made up. They they throw all these bubble screens, and he's inaccurate at these. I'm assuming he's not super accurate on slants and in breaking routes and these sort of more harder throws. And so I was like, I think he's just not going to be a super accurate quarterback. And sure enough, he's probably a top five. Uh, quarterback. I think almost every team in the NFL, other than other than maybe the Bills and maybe the uh, the Chiefs, would take Justin Herbert as their quarterback. And that's why you draft for skills and don't draft for just the stats, of which he had good stats. Or even like the tape can be really, I think, can can be confusing when yeah. you watch the tape on guys. Because I remember watching a lot of Josh Allen and being like, what? Like this guy, I mean, it just looked horrible his last year. It looked like he didn't know where to throw the football. It looked like he was inaccurate a lot of times, or he tried to play hero ball all the time. And the whole, there's so many things that you can't know about that, how they're coached, what the offense is supposed to do. And around here in Indianapolis, they try to figure these things out. But even then, it's just going to be a, such a different universe that they get dropped into that there's no way to project it. You can only project on, hey, what if this works out? What is this guy's arm going to look like? What's his legs going to look like? And that kind of thing. So well, I, that's well, why I lean toward Willis in terms of if you were to draft one today, if you had all five on the on the board, go with that guy. One thing that I know that all these quarterbacks, coaches, and coordinators who are looking at all these quarterbacks, uh, uh, and it's like 100 for 100 of these guys I've talked to over the years. And it goes back to a story that Jason Garrett told me in a quarterback meeting years ago. He's my quarterback coach in Miami in 2005. He'd come back from the combine. I sort of asked how it was. And he tells me the story about Jimmy Chang. Was it Jimmy Chang from Hawaii? Uh, I think it was just quarterback through for a gazillion yards oh, in the like Hawaii. air raid yeah. Hawaii offense of the day. And... But listening to, he was telling the story about how he was describing a play that they, like his, he, what's your favorite play? And here's him describing this play. And, but listening to a guy who set all the records in the conference and all the records at Hawaii through for a million yards, describe his favorite play was so hilarious <laughs> to Jason Garrett. Cause it was like, well, we run this guy here. We run this guy over here and this guy, He's always open. He just is. He's just always open, so that's usually the guy I hit. And there is really no understanding of the defense. There's really no understanding of like the concept of what was causing the defense. It was just that this guy is always open, and so that's usually who I throw the ball to. But that's pretty much what he – like. so the, these coaches, anyway, what I said, like 100 for 100, these coaches are always sort of baffled about how little a lot of these quarterbacks know when they come in. Some know a lot. I think Mac Jones was probably taught really well at yep. Alabama, very pro style. You, you, you spend four years in truly like an NFL development type of situation, and then you have a guy that's come from other teams where there's very little talk about like the details of how coverages work, protections they may know very little, defensive fronts, whether it's a three-down front, a four-down front, an over front, an under front, a bare front. They haven't talked about any of those things before. They just know that this guy on this play, he's open all the time when I try to throw him the ball. <laughs> and uh, you'd be shocked because of you know all the, all the, the money that's in college football. Uh, and I don't want to say it's bad coaching, but it's, you know, and then of course they're very limited on their time compared to NFL, but just the huge variety of football knowledge that these quarterback coaches are seen by all these guys that walk into it for all those interviews. And you have to judge off of like, are they not smart enough to know? Were they not coached well? 
is it a combination of the two? Is he actually smart, but you think his coaches might have been really, really bad? How does that translate to what we're actually seeing on the film? I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. And uh, but I think it's always a sort of a trip for them of, uh, you know, some of these college coaches and, and how little they really prepare their, their quarterbacks to be pro quarterbacks. That reminds me of like the uh, 80% of the time it works every time. Like that's your, that's your offense. Like, Half the time I'm 100% right. <laughs> exactly. Okay, one last thing before we wrap up here, and this is our last uh, show from Indianapolis. And so let me just say that I greatly appreciate you taking the time to come here, hanging out, um, it, it, you know, also, you know, participating and asking questions to Quasi Adafalmensa and Kevin O'Connell. A couple of really good answers from things that you asked them. Uh, and so I thought that that was a very cool experience to have you there as well and not just us journalists throwing questions at them. So thank you for that. I just want to ask you, like, who you think the most interesting team in the NFL is in these next couple of weeks because hmm. so much can change. Quarterback trades, free agencies coming up. I mean, the, the draft shuffling will happen. Who is the most interesting team in the NFL? That's a good question. Um, I may have a, a couple answers for you. One, I, I do think San Francisco is, in, you know, they've got to find a way to get rid of Garoppolo, uh, which they're going to do. It's the right, I mean, they've all sort of said it. I do think they're going to try to get rid of him or trade him to a team that makes him happy more than like maximizing the value 100% for the 49ers. I think there's a, a mutual respect there. Um, obviously, what's going to happen with this this quarterback as he goes into his second year, Trey Lance, but Kyle Shanahan has lost almost his entire coaching staff. All the guys on offense, except for the online coach, are, are gone. Wes Welker went with Mike McDaniel, the coordinator. Rich Scangarello went to Kentucky to be their offensive coordinator, which is interesting. They're trying to they're going to try to run more pro style, like that style of offense at Kentucky. That's going to be part of their, almost like the recruiting to get guys to go there. You're going to get four years of real quarterback development sure. rather than running the air raid offense You know, at, at, at Kentucky. So um, the, the special teams coach, uh, Hightower, he went to Chicago. So they're really, uh, there's a lot of transition going on there. So they're going you know, to be hiring coaches. So I'm interested, that's which one of those teams. Of course, my relationship with Kyle, that intrigues me personally of what's sort of going on there in San Francisco. You don't see coaching staffs sort of fall apart after really a, a pretty dang good season, uh, which they had a, an excellent shot at a, at a Super Bowl. So, and plus they're losing their quarterback. So that's one team that I guess that intrigues me. Um, you also see don't see a team go to the NFC Championship and then trade their quarterback. <laughs> like that yeah. doesn't happen very often. That, that doesn't happen very often. Um, what are some other teams? I, that... I would nominate Miami for this because, like, are you happy with your quarterback? You have a good roster. You got a new coach. What does he think? Uh, Chris Greer, their GM, said they're out on Deshaun Watson. But like, we know that usually when people say they're out on something or whatever, like the opposite is true. So I don't, I don't know. But the one thing I, the one thing I definitely have learned in the uh, sort of the NFL world is when a coach or a GM says something and then like the next day does the exact opposite it doesn't really piss anybody off no it's sort of no, like it it's doesn't. just like it's okay we get it you completely lied to our faces yep. judd zolget calls it sports line and you just expect it's like it's okay yeah, it's sports just line not, is fine it's just the way it goes i mean hey situations change right. every day I, I would nominate denver 
I think Denver's very interesting. I find Denver interesting. Obviously, George Payton has that, that Vikings connection. Uh, they've got a whole new thing going on there. Their quarterback situation is, of course, up in the air. Yep. Um, another coach from that sort of tree, Hackett, uh, obviously coming from from the Green Bay Packers. And so yeah, that's the Broncos have just sort of been an, off, an interesting offseason team the last few years, I feel like. They yeah. just feels like every year they have a different quarterback. Um, and uh, sort of trying to figure it out there. So they've had a lot of turnover the last few years, and the question is, did George Payton get the right guy? Did he Is Hackett the right guy for, for that fr- franchise? That is also like for sale or right. whatever is yeah. going on there. Right. So I know you're, you're going to put in a bid. I'm going to put in a bid. We'll see what if what you know if it Maybe if we merge we could come up with the several billion that it takes. Well, yeah, I mean yours is gonna be a little bit more than mine, but I'm hoping that I can still because of my experience get a higher percentage of ownership. I'm a businessman personally, <laughs> so uh, we've had great success here at Purple Insider. We are considering purchasing the Denver Broncos. Well, I'm a business um, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Homer, Homer Simpson, the Denver Broncos, uh, people will recognize that reference if they made it this far. Well, Sage, it's, it has been an honor to spend another week here with you at the Combine. I hope this is not our last time doing it so we could find time in the future and future Combines to do it if the world still exists next year. And uh, that's a that's like a that's a deep cut reference to like what coaches say of like, well, I don't even know if the world's going to be around that's, that's, tomorrow. That's, that's, that's a Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. I will say I love coming to the Combine. We haven't been here the last couple of years, obviously. Um, I, I think that I, I get a lot of information. One, for me, it's just the, the old relationships of people I get to talk to uh, in these hotel lobbies and just, you know, sort of just t- telling old stories and laughing and, of course, going to dinner and into, into the sort of the, a couple bars late night uh, that they happen to stay open here for whatever reason until 3 <laughs> yeah, o'clock in the morning. Right. But um, that, to me, is uh, the, the best part about, about all of this. I think the... The guys that are out here trying to put up the best numbers possible to give themselves a, a chance to be successful as NFL players, that's fine. But even talking to Kevin O'Connell last night, he hasn't studied these guys right, yet. Right, of course. Yeah, uh, he, he just, and none of these coaches have. You know, even maybe a little bit, but anyone that made the playoffs, I mean, they had, they've had bigger fish to fry. And so they'll get a little sort of a little taste of what these guys are, but they're really going to start doing work after the combine. Right. This is just sort of a starting point to as we work into free agency, which is you know coming up very, very soon. But as they study these guys and study these guys and then do private workouts and then they do their uh, their, their 30, uh, whatever it is, the guys that come in, uh, right, right before the draft, and then the actual draft. So really, this is this is it, sometimes it feels like the end because as the players, like you've been working out and trying to build up to this point to get all these numbers, so it's like the ending. But really, it's just like the very, very beginning of the process. And for some of these coaches, literally like the first time they probably open up some of these scouting books to even see what's going on with these players. And that's what's uh, interesting even for us is that, you know, there's a lot more to dive into with actual prospects and names and things that, that, you know, are being said and written and everything else. At the Combine, we're just basically kicking off the offseason, which is what our shows have been, and I've really enjoyed it. So thank you for your time, and uh, do not be a stranger on the show, sir. Sounds good. Have me on any time.